Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Larry brought up something that I was supposed to mention and I totally forgot, so my apologies. So we're actually going to start off with this before we jump into uh, the Word of God. Uh, There's an organization called Yoke Fellowship Prison Ministry, and they reached out to us. We worked with them a couple of years ago. They reached out to us and asked us if we would be willing to go to the home uh, of a, uh, I think it's a 13-year-old boy. His father reached out to them and asked if one of the churches involved in the prison ministry could go and provide him with a gift. So um, what I wanted to bring up to the congregation was yes, We've done this in the past with a family with that same ministry where uh, Crossroads provides the financial resources and then one of the families in the congregation goes to the home. It's in, I believe it's in Bethel Park. So uh, we're not doing this because, oh, they're suddenly going to start coming to our congregation. We're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. Where one of the families will go and present to, it's a 13-year-old boy who I believe lives with his grandmother and uh, present him with a gift in a God-honoring way. Now, the way that they word it is they want us to, as God leads, share the gospel with them, uh, which is great, but we also don't want to beat them over the head with the Bible, saying, hey, you're only getting this gift if you come to church. That's not how we roll. But we do want to be able to present uh, a gift to him. So the only thing that I need is before we leave today, if there's anyone who's interested and says, yeah, I'll go do it, I'll go, you know, then we'll give you the financial resources. You go buy a gift for a 13-year-old boy. I'll give you the information. Uh, I'm supposed to contact the administrator of the program tomorrow morning, and then uh, we'll move forward. Um, if we don't have anyone, and I told them we may not have anyone that can do it because people are busy and it's kind of a little late. People have already got their plans and, and things going on. But if you're interested, let me know. Uh, if you're able to, um, again, we'll give you the financial resources from Crossroads. Uh, you just go buy a gift for a 13-year-old boy. I don't even know what a 13-year-old boy would want. Xbox. Yeah, like an Xbox, a PS5, you know. A Tonka I think that's what the, the 13-year-old boy's pet may want. But Because who knows what kids want today? I don't know. But if you're interested and you're able to do it. They did not, but I will double check with her. They didn't give me a list of things he may be interested in. I will double check with her when I talk with her tomorrow. But if you're interested, let me know so I can let her know that we do have people that might be able to do it. But this morning, we're going to finish up our series in Daniel. Um, and as, as I said before, now, this is super spiritual, a lot of spiritual stuff, even more so than before coming down the pike, a lot of prophecies. As I said before, 75% of the prophecies in the book of Daniel have been fulfilled, which is why we can trust the rest. We're going to touch on the rest of them kind of this morning. We're going to put a lot of scripture uh, into one morning. So we're going to cover like three chapters, Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12. It's one long prophetic vision, right? And in this prophetic vision, we're going to see multiple angelic beings Right? Uh, some uh, are kind of confusing. Uh, some, some people have confused and said, yeah, this could be Jesus. We'll get to that when we get it. Uh, we're also going to see this prophetic vision 
covers hundreds and hundreds in years of human history, which is why it's so good for us. Because for Daniel, from where he stood in human history, he looked forward to it. Everything we're about to read and talk about was prophecy to him. It was prophetic. It was like in his future. Some of it, we, from where we stand in human history, we can look back and say, yeah, that happened, that happened, that happened, that happened, with so much detail that the parts that are still future or prophetic for us, we can put our faith in because of all the parts that have been fulfilled. Right? So, uh, so much of human history, but it's also going to cover a lot of uh, humanity's future. Right? Daniel is going to see a lot of the same information that's talked about in other books of the Bible when it comes to the end times. Right? Uh, and it's, again, a whole lot of scripture we're going to cover, but a lot of it has to do with spiritual warfare. Because we're going to see that. Like, this, this is a re- realistic thing. A lot of people don't take spiritual warfare seriously. We're going to see how it impacts individuals. But in light of that spiritual warfare, we're still going to see God's sovereignty prevailing, even though there are demonic and spiritual forces that are trying to come against the sovereignty of God. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Daniel, chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 10. And we're going to start digging into, uh, and I'm going to jump through a lot of this uh, but, and summarize a lot just because it's a lot of scripture we're trying to capture. So in Daniel chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 1 says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belshazzar. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Now, here's, here's what we need to understand. He had this revelation that came to him in a vision. Then he starts praying about it and he gets another vision. The revelation that he had that came to him in a vision, many theologians believe is the same or similar revelation, not exactly the same, but similar revelation that Jesus Christ gave to John the Baptist of this tragic, huge end times and apocalyptic war, right? Same one to talk about in the book of Zechariah. So it wouldn't be the first time that God revealed to an Old Testament prophet, hey, here's this end time war. And we, uh, I forget how long ago, maybe last year or the year before, walked through the book of Zechariah. So after he has this vision, verse 2, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks because of the devastation he saw in this vision. Because imagine you're shown a vision of like global, not just one country, not just one nation. I mean, you know how, uh, I was going to say, volcanoes are erupting now, and and, and that's caused, and then throw in tornadoes, throw in hail, throw in uh, uh, earthquake, and and throw in plague and hunger and all all this kind of stuff. That doesn't, that's the natural stuff. That doesn't take into effect the supernatural stuff that God allows to be unleashed. Right? So he says, I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. So basically he was fasting. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Now, a lot of people think that this angelic being is Jesus. 
And it could be because as he starts to talk, he says, he, uh, Daniel indicates there's multiple angelic beings present. And some of them are doing one thing and some of them are doing another thing. I tend to not think this is Jesus because there are other beings that are described like this. Stay in Daniel, but in the book of Matthew, in chapter 28, this is what it says. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. It was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance, meaning the angel of the Lord, was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. So there are other angelic beings described uh, as, as having like bronze skin, lightning faces, and, and white clothes. So we can't immediately assume that every time it's described a being like that, that it's Jesus. Okay? But we can, as you're going to see, let the, the rest of the scripture kind <clears> of <throat> excuse me, give us some insight into who it is. <clears throat> Drop down to verse 10. He says, a hand touched me, set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I now have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I need to reiterate that again. We reiterated it last week. I want to reiterate it this week. When we pray, sometimes it may take days, weeks, months, or even years to see the consequence of what we're praying for. But when we pray, the moment we open our mouths, the moment we think that thought, God hears us. That doesn't mean you're automatically going to get what you pray for. It does mean that the creator of the universe instantly hears our prayers. He says, since the first day that you set yourself, God, to uh, humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Now, here's where we get into the spiritual warfare, and here's where we get into the, this is probably not Jesus. Because he says, verse 13, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. We'll talk what that word, we'll talk about what that word prince means in a minute. But it, it, it's a term that's used for angelic beings, right? And, and, and this is one of the verses that gets taken out of context that makes some people think that Michael is the brother of Jesus. Because if they think this angelic being is Jesus and he has to get Michael to help him, that, that makes sense. But we know that Jesus doesn't need anyone to help him, that he created the angelic beings, that he's greater than the angelic beings, so this can't be Jesus. He says, then Michael, one of the chief princes, that's where we get that term archangel, chief princes came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen this is key. What will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come? So he's telling him, hey, I'm trying to tell you here. I, I was sent to tell you, here's what's going to happen to your people in the future. The only thing that stopped me from giving you this revelation was spiritual warfare, right? We, we, we can't say that, you know, God exists, but then say that the enemy of God, that God is trying to equip us to fight against, doesn't exist. 
we can't have it both ways, right? Because even God says that we have an enemy that we need to fight against. Drop down to verse 18. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. Verse 20, so he said, do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, prince of, the prince of Greece will come. But first, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him, meaning Michael, your prince. Now, he uses that word prince for both the forces that the angel is fighting against and for the forces that are supporting him, like Michael. And that word prince um, is a word that means the captain or head of something, but also under the command of another. When we think of prince, we think of like Prince Charming, Prince Valiant, you know, the son of a king, Prince William, that kind of thing. In this term, it's a phrase that's assigned to whether it be angelic or demonic forces that are over, as we just read, whole cities or communities or in sometimes whole nations. And if you look back historically, even though we may not see the spiritual warfare happening, we can see the consequences of it because there were whole cities that used to be devoted to God and now those cities are devoted to violence, sexual promiscuity, and drug activity. There were whole cities where, uh, if you think of, and I forget where, uh, up in the New England area, where a whole universities, whole areas were so devoted to God that they created all these universities to share the gospel, like Yale and, 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 and Harvard, that if you look at their original charters, they were created... I think Princeton as well, uh, they were created as like seminary-type schools to send out people to share and preach the gospel around the world. If you look at those cities now, they're devoted to things that are the total opposite of what God would want. And so we don't get to say, hey, yeah, God is real, but ignore the fact that if God is real, then so is his enemy, and then so is this whole concept of spiritual warfare. Uh, this is what Paul says about it. In 2 Corinthians, he wrote to a church that was steeped in uh, sexual promiscuity uh, and, and, and things totally opposed to the things of God. They were trying to mix in the ways of the world with the ways of the God. <clears throat> excuse me, with the ways of God. And he said, for though we walk or live in the flesh, we are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh, and using mere human weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. He said, this, in, in, in layman's term, you guys have heard that term, like bringing a, a knife to a gunfight. You guys heard that term, right? Yeah. Uh, here's what he says. Instead of bringing a knife to a gunfight, he says, you can't bring a physical weapon to a spiritual battle. You can't bring a knife or a gun or your words or the ballot box, which is a lot of us think we can try to fight what's going on in our communities at the ballot box. 
that's not going to fix the spiritual warfare that's happening in our cities and our communities. What we need are spiritual weapons. And Paul tells the church in Ephesus, he says, be strong in the Lord, be empowered through your union with him, with the Lord, draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless boundless might provides, and put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavenly armed soldier which God supplies. Paul says, hey, if you're going to do this, you got to gear up. We have to be ready to fight a spiritual battle. Then he goes on and he says, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. This isn't a flesh and blood battle. It isn't a Democrat versus Republican battle. It isn't the, you know, here's the, the, the violence in the city versus the, the whatever's going on in the suburbs battle. It's a spiritual battle. He says, we're fighting against the despotisms, the powers, the masters, the world rulers of this present darkness, spiritual forces in dark places. That's what we're fighting against, right? And then he says this, therefore, because it is a spiritual battle, we have to put on God's complete armor. Here's the thing. When we put on God's complete armor, then we can resist and take a stand against these spiritual forces. We can't do that until we armor up. We have to bring, again, we can't bring physical weapons to a spiritual battle. Now, jump, jump back into, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, back into Daniel chapter 11. In verse 2, he says this. Now, I tell you the truth. Now he's going to, he goes from, he's still in this vision, but the angel is going to reveal the next several hundred years of, like he said, what's going to happen to their people. So he says, verse 2, Now then I tell you the truth, three more kings will appear in Persia, and the fourth, and then a fourth, who will be far richer. That fourth was Artaxerxes, who was far richer than the previous kings. Uh, when he was gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece, uh, which he did. And if you don't know history, like go watch the movie The 300, although it's kind of like very R-rated, very violent, sexual, whatever stuff. Good CGI and battle scenes, if you're into that type of stuff. Uh, he says... Um, then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. This is Alexander the Great. We've talked about him before. After he has appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven, which is what happened when he died and didn't have a, a verifiable heir. So his kingdom which was the, the largest kingdom in the known world at that time, got parceled into uh, his four, um, four generals. Now, I'm, I'm going to show you this verse again, uh, because this, this is what the angel is about to reveal to him. He says, I want to make sure you understand what's going to happen to your people in the Akarit Hayim. This is the complete Jewish Bible version. That term, Akarit Hayim, is a term that means the end times or the last days. So he's telling him, hey, I want you to know what's going to happen to your people in the next couple hundred years, all the way to the end time. And he covers literally uh, almost every kingdom that's going to rule over the people of Israel. Now, time won't allow me to go through all that, but I will jump through some of them because it's amazing. I put it up here in the Amplified Version. You can follow along in your Bible so you can see I'm not making this up. But in chapter 11, verse 6, he says this, At the end of some years, they, the king of the north, Syria, and the king of the south, Egypt, shall make an alliance. The daughter of the king of the south 
shall come to the king of the north to make a just and peaceful marriage agreement. Excuse me. This actually happened in 249 BC. Ptolemy, I might be mispronouncing his name, one of the kingdoms in which uh, uh, Alexander the Great's kingdom was divided, Ptolemy sent his daughter Bernice to marry Antiochus, another one of the kingdoms, uh, Antiochus II, to stop the Second Syrian War. And again, this, this might seem inconsequential, but for the angel to say, this is how this nation is going to form, this is what this, that this king's daughter is going to marry this king, and again, for Daniel, all prophetic. He's looking forward to this, probably doesn't understand it, we can look back and see that was fulfilled in history, including this, because it happens again. He says in verse 17, he, Antiochus the Great, another Antiochus, shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom and with him upright conditions in terms of peace, and he shall perform them by making an agreement with the king of the south. He shall give him his daughter to corrupt and destroy it in league with Egypt. And this, again, fulfilled in 194 B.C., Ptolemy V entered into a treaty with Antiochus III by marrying his daughter Cleopatra I. And this wasn't the Cleopatra of Cleopatra, Mark Anthony, Julius Caesar, but it was the ancestor of that Cleopatra of Mark Anthony and Julius Caesar. Uh, and then this, uh, in verse 28, then shall, again, this is a whole other uh, nation and issue, then shall the vile conqueror from the north return into his land with much booty, and his heart and purpose shall be set against God's holy covenant with his people. So this is a ruler who, according to the angel, is going to come back and is going to just have his heart and intent on destroying the people. And this was actually fulfilled by Antiochus IV. He was fighting in Egypt. He heard about an uprising of just a thousand people uprising in Jerusalem. He went back and over the course of three days slaughtered 40 to 80,000 Jewish people. And then, according to history, and I'm not, I'm not exactly sure the number, after slaughtering the 40 to 80,000, he sentenced another 40 to 50,000 and sent them into slavery. And again, Daniel, looking at this, prophetic. For us, we can look back and see that this, again, fulfilled with alarming specificity, which is why we can put faith in the stuff that's prophetic for us. Uh, and this final one, an armed forces of his shall appear in the Holy Land. This is directly, again, uh, in Jerusalem. They shall pollute the sanctuary, the spiritual stronghold, and shall take away the continual daily, daily burnt offering, and they shall set up in the sanctuary the abomination that astonishes and makes desolate. Uh, most of us have heard that term, the abomination that causes desolation. This was actually fulfilled 168 B.C. Antiochus IV, uh, also known as Antiochus Epiphanes, had an altar built in the temple in Jerusalem. And the altar was an image of Zeus. And then I think it was either three or seven or ten days later, he came back and offered the sacrifice of a pig, which is an unclean animal, on that altar. And the reason why he did this is because this is the way that people, obviously, when they're dissatisfied with something, they try to ridicule it or make fun of it. And all of this was fulfilled um, for us. It's history. For Daniel, it's prophetic. For Daniel, it's like, I have no idea what this is. It's the way that when we look at the book of Revelation and we're like, 
is that real? Is that unreal? How could that happen? Is that imagery? It's not meant to be taken literally, and people are so confused by it. Daniel looked at that the same way. We look back and say, yeah, that happened, that happened, that happened, exactly like it said. But then he switches, and he's still giving Daniel prophecy, but now he talks about things that to us are also prophetic because they have not yet happened. He says in uh, verse 36, And the king, now he's talking about a different ruler, shall do according to his will, he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. That indignation is another phrase for that thing that we just talked about, uh, the uh, abomination that causes desolation. And this is, this is referring to the Antichrist because uh, he says it's going to keep doing this, he's going to prosper until that happens, meaning that he's gonna, everyone's going to come around him, everyone's going to believe in him, everyone's going to be like, like singing his praises, as a politician, as a ruler, until that happens. Now, here's the thing. We know that that happened with Antiochus Epiphanes in 168 BC. Jesus says that this thing that we just read is in Jesus' future. He says, when you see the appalling sacrilege, the abomination that astonishes and makes desolate, spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader take notice and ponder and consider and heed this. So even though it physically happened before Jesus' time, we know what we just read in in verse 36 is after Jesus' time because Jesus said, hey, this is still yet to come. This is something that's going to happen in our future. This is something where, where we're going to look forward and we're going to say, wow, just like Daniel, I, I can't, all the buildings when you look through uh, Zechariah, when you look through the book of Revelation, all these things seem like impossible. But again, every single prophecy that Daniel made that has been fulfilled gives us the courage, the strength and the energy and the faith to believe in all the ones that have yet to come. So this is, what, this is the way it ends at Daniel chapter 12. And at that time, meaning at the end, Michael shall arise, the great angelic prince who defends and have charge of your Daniel's people again. So there are angelic forces over nations and cities and people groups, but there are also demonic forces doing the same. He says, and there shall be a time of trouble, straightness and distress such as never was since there was a nation till that time. When Jesus speaks about this, he says that that, that great tribulation is not just so bad that there's nothing before like it. He said there was nothing after it will ever come close to it. Which is why when I hear people say we must be in the end times, I'm like, look around. It can get way worse than this. I mean, things are bad, but it's going to get so much worse. And he says, and many in those, and this is again how we know this is end times, and not referring to Antiochus Epiphanes, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting content and abhorrence. And this is what Paul talks about uh, in in 1 and 2 Thessalonians when he says the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will arise, right? But this is the key, and we're going to end on this. Uh, I was going to have us sing again, but I think we're going to end on this for the sake of time. He says, and the teachers and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. 
and those who turn many to righteousness, to uprightness and right standing with God, shall give forth light like the stars forever and ever. This may not seem to make sense, but he's saying the teachers, the people who teach the, the truth about God's word, the people who go out and proclaim the truth about who God is, they're the ones who are going to shine. They're the ones who are going to like stand with God forever. They're the ones we're supposed to be. This is why Jesus calls us a light. Because there are whole cities and communities and states and nations with demonic forces over them that are steeped in violence and drugs and sexual promiscuity. And we can't vote it away. We can't go out and, 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 and have uh, 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 parades that talk about it and get it to go away. We have to be the light that is prayerfully willing to go and speak the truth into that darkness. And there is no better time to do that than now when we get to proclaim the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of humanity, the hope of the world. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. God, we realize that uh, we live in a world, not just a nation, not just a state or a city, but a world where darkness is reigning, where there are spiritual forces at work to, to promote things that are not only against your will, but things that will consume, hurt, harm, and destroy your people. And we also realize that we are the spiritual resource that you use to fight that darkness. We pray that this Christmas season that we may take the truth of your word into our homes, into our schools, into our workplaces, into our communities, and that we can be that shining light that brings hope and joy and peace to those who are in need of hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, pray that you have an awesome rest of your Sunday. God bless. And hope you're able to join us tonight at the Christmas Carol Festival at Elizabeth Baptist Church starting at 7 p.m. God bless.